So, Rebecca, you're a mom, right? Yeah, 13 years today. Well, we have a patron who would like our advice on how not to screw up her child because she's about to have a kid. Good luck with that. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a professor and a therapist. Hi, I'm Rebecca Bloom. I'm a therapist and a working mother. (laughs) This is an email from patron Claudia. She says, I love your podcast. I'm a psychology student, and your podcast helps me understand more about psychology. I have a seven-month-old baby, Mm. and like any mum, mum, she must be from, Mm. not from the States, mum. Yeah, that's English or Canadian or Australian, yeah. Mm. And like any mum, I would love to offer my boy the best parenthood possible, listening to your podcasts has alerted me to just how many things can go wrong and trigger future psychological problems for children. Any chance that you could summarize the important things to do or avoid Mm. as a parent? I'm just going to rattle off some things that I thought of, and then you can kind of fill in the blanks. What do you say here, Rebecca? I love how you always, like, throw me into these epic things. Like, hey, I just have an idea. Yeah. (laughs) I go along with you. Well, you're just so brilliant, I figure something awesome will come out of your face, you know? Okay, number one. The first thing, I have 12 things to remember. Wow, 12. Number one, because as a family therapist, I've worked extensively with parents, thousands of parents with various different issues. And so these are the 12 that I will frequently get to with every client. Number one is as a parent, you have to recognize and accept that all parents screw up their children. Yes, I I totally agree. It's not going to be perfect. And I have so many amazing tidbit stories. Can I just share one right now? Because it's such a good fit for this. So uh, I've been trying to get my son into programming forever because that's the wave of the future. And that's where there'll only be jobs in the future. And he's been completely resistant until he discovered this. There's this open source MIT uh, programming platform. It's called Scratch. Most kids are introduced to it pretty early these days, like somewhere in early elementary school. But he's already in middle school just discovering it for the first time. He thinks it's the greatest thing ever. Uh, Kids can create kind of short, quote, video games or videos that have commands from the viewer. So it's really interactive. And we're watching all of them, all the little ones that he's created. And they're all really shaming. (laughs) There's always like a command that you're supposed to do and then the narrator yells at you. And then I was like, Eli, what's going on here? And he said, well, that's how I was brought up. Um, So no matter how hard I've tried to, you know, raise him in the best circumstances possible, he feels like he's just constantly being shamed by me. So, Right. And when he's 25, he'll go to therapy to heal from that. And that's just the way that it is. There's no way around making mistakes as a parent and just accept that. Uh, that's that's number one. Number two, parenting is an art form, meaning that there are many ways to do it right. There are many nuances. You you, you, you know how to be a be- how to be a good parent is like saying how do how to be a good artist, and don't become rigid to particular ways. And don't let the judgment of others get you down because there's many ways to be a parent. 
Is, is parenting an art form as an art therapist? <laughs> well, and it's ever changing. Your child is constantly developing. So the minute you think you've got it down and you've got some pattern in place and things are really working, they developmentally change in some way. And then you start over. Right. So it's uh, really an art form because it's ever changing. It's like watching the tides or something. Yeah. You know? Okay. Number three is uh, before we get into specific advice, I just want to say, and I, this is what I say to a lot of parents who are feeling as though they don't know what they're doing. I say to follow your heart and if you're overthinking it, try not to overthink it. The thing that I tell people is we're all engineered to care about children. We evolved in all likelihood to, I mean, it's why we consider puppies cute and why we consider, you know, any baby of any animal to be a cute thing. It's because we were designed to love those little cute things. And that was all from parenting. And so trust your body, trust your instincts when it comes to giving love and connect with your, with your passion and your love for your child. And that will go a long way. Yeah. And, um, and they want to be loved and this feedback loop gets set up so that there's a wonderful video about how chimpanzees parent and that even chimpanzees shame and redirect their children and when they're done doing that then they hug their children then they hug the little baby monkey right and that act of mistake and repair is inherent in the parent-child dynamic and probably for a lot of parents i find the most healing part when you hug after correcting after, yeah 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 so follow your heart in that way as well so you know like you don't like your kid doing something, you know, it's it's probably a good indication that something should be done. Okay, now let's get into maybe some specifics here. The number four, the, the biggest, most important guidance as a parent, particularly for early childhood, is to focus on attachment, which means that you're there when they need you as often as possible, that, you know, within reason while at the same time letting them venture away from you when they need to. Approach bot. Yes. Both might need encouragement. You, you might need to encourage them to come to you. You might need to encourage them to move away from you. This developmental process of being attuned to your child, knowing what is going on with your child, reflecting that back to them, and uh, being there for them at this, while at the same time allowing them to move away from you is the essence of good parenting. It's complicated to some extent, and every parent could attest to that, but, but that's the guide that I will um, use when discussing different kinds of strategies given different developmental periods. Yeah. What your child needs most from you, and I think what you and I see so much in therapy, is that uh, they feel like you see them. And yeah. you're not always going to be able to agree with them or anything. But if, you know, every once in a while you can check in and say, hey, I really see you and I really enjoy you, um, a, a true bond will be made that will last a lifetime. 
as opposed to, I'm sure you and I both have clients whose parents only told them they were a piece of crap yeah. and they would never amount to anything. Right. So there's obviously those overt um, mistakes being made by parents and therefore a lack of attuned attachment over time. But it can take very subtle forms, just not parents who are nice, but not being very attuned to their child. Now, I'm not saying you need to sit there with your five-year-old and just stare at them and like reflect everything back to them constantly. That's not what I'm saying. When they're six months old, it might involve a bit of that. <laughs> but it's it, it just depends on how old they are. But the point is, is that given their age, whatever you know, is appropriate to that. And there's, you know, different, uh, guidance regarding how old someone is and different dispositions of the child and this kind of stuff. You know, some of these people, when I talk about this, it's, it's like it, they, they get overwhelmed. This, they think it's going to require a lot of work, but it actually can be just three seconds of, of effort <laughs> to let a child know that, you know, where they're at and what they're going through, or at least that you're trying to understand or you're paying attention. It doesn't require you to necessarily put any more effort, so to speak, into your parenting. You know, you're driving them to school and they're having a little episode. And in that moment, instead of taking a, a sort of disciplinarian tact with them, you just notice that they're upset. You notice that they're scared. Are you, or you ask them, are you feeling scared? Are you feeling ups, upset? Are you hurt? Does, does this bother you? You know, that those kinds of simple observations can indicate to a child, which they desperately want, that their parents are, are with them and know what they're going through. And again, this isn't something you have to do all the time. It's just when, you know, sprinkle it through your time with your child, particularly in moments where they're struggling. Um, okay, number five, heal from your own childhood relational wounds yeah. because those will likely affect your parenting reactions. For example, if you were overly criticized as a child, you will tend to be critical with your own children until you heal from those wounds. Any thoughts mm -hmm. on that, Rebecca? Yeah, I mean, we can only do what we have seen. And so often when I'm working with a client and they'll be talking about some way that they're so frustrated with their own child, you know, I'll say, well, you know, how was it modeled for you? What happened when something like that happened in your house, you know? And, um, Unfortunately, sometimes people find that they're repeating those patterns that were done at home. Right. Or, you know, they were completely ignored. I yeah. mean, that's the other one is that uh, kind of neglect that people have been ignoring all these years when they have their own children and they realize how needy children are. It can be really triggering for folks. Right. And this can take many forms, the healing. You can go to therapy yourself, which is perhaps the most obvious way, but you can embark on your own self-healing processes through thinking and contemplation and developing healing relationships with the people around you, even with your own kids sometimes. So, but the point is, is that recognize your own wounds, do your best to heal from them over time 
because that will make it easier for you to remain what we call differentiated in the face of anxiety as a parent, which you will feel a lot. Now, it's just on the onset, I'm just I'm compelled to to mention that some kids are extremely easy to parent and make you feel like you are an awesome parent when you might be just average. <laughs> and other kids, just by the way they come out into this universe, are difficult and make you feel like you're the worst parent on the planet. So that is just something to know <laughs> right i mean i've heard people you know they they have an easy one and then they had a hard one or they had a hard one and then the next one's so easy they can't believe it right it's uh, never so apparent than when you have two or three or more kids and you just see the dispositional differences at six months you, you know if anyone who anyone who's hung around enough kid infants knows that at six months, you can already see differences in their personality. And although environment has a big part in your in the way that personality develops, obviously, but when you get an easy kid, you, there's a lot of flexibility regarding the way you parent, you know. Plus, they, they tend not to challenge the the weaknesses in your parenting style, the way that a difficult kid would, mm -hmm. you know, like a difficult kid age eight says, I want to, I want to be on my iPad for the next five hours. And as a parent, you might say, well, let's limit that. An easy kid will be like, okay, all right. You know, they're, they're bummed out, but the, but you know, they just sort of give in. <laughs> and I've seen that. I've seen, Average parents have kids like that, and the kids are just like cool with it because they just really just, you know, well, I could go on a jag. But but a difficult kid will figure out how to frustrate you to the point where you allow it to happen or at least, you know, they, they'll try and, you know, they'll they'll figure out a way to uh, challenge your, your system. But anyway, number six, take news reports with a massive grain of salt. There's a lot of BS on the internet, so try not to be swayed by simple headlines or simple cultural notions. I think the fascinating one right now is with peanut allergies. That it used to be keep you know don't even show a kid a peanut until they're two, and now it's introduce peanuts as soon as you can. Um, so yeah, it's hard to keep up. It's hard to feel like you're doing it right. Um, you just kind of got to go with what type of kid you have, what type of family you have. I mean, I noticed such a difference between the parenting households. I mean, Seattle, it's so economically diverse. So you have parents that are working full time. You have families that can afford where one parent works. And then I know some families where neither parent works. Um, and so each of these families is able to do something different for their kid, depending on the availability of the parent. Right. Number seven, seek professional help if you want. There's no shame in that. It might be a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. list off. I mean, we've parenting coaches, couples counseling, right. therapist for your kid, psychiatrist. I mean, it's like you know, depending on the type of kid you have, you may <laughs> like have a whole lot of people. Yeah, help it out. Exactly. Learning specialists, tutors. 
IEP managers, the counselor at the school. Yep. Right. All those people. To try to do this by yourself is... Can't. Yeah. And there are experts who can help you, who are experts at helping. They're not going to sit... You know, when people come to me with their parenting problems... I don't shame them. I, I, I normalize them. I'm with them. I tell them, I point out what they're doing well, because there's always a billion things they're doing well. And I start saying, well, how about we try this? And let's, you know, maybe try that. Uh, not only, you know, I think a lot of people think like experts will just shame you or have some simple answer or something. But when someone is truly an expert and they truly know what they're doing, they understand that parenting is tough and variable and cultural and there's no silver bullet, you know, there's no magic, magic bullet, silver bullet. So uh, I don't Magic bullet. There's no, there's no any sort of bullet. <laughs> and it's just you and your kid and your spouse. Yeah. And your in-laws. I mean, I suppose you could threaten your kid with a bullet, but that's not recommended. No. Find a community where you can be honest with other parents about your experience. Yeah. Um, there is so much pressure these days to do it right and do it perfectly and have it be flawless and really uh, find some good friends to do it with. I would say that's what saved me. I've used experts, but also, you know, I have certain friends that we just have these texting relationships. Like we send each other, there's no comments. It's just a photo of the floor in our house, like <laughs> four pairs of shoes, three socks and an apple core just lying in the middle of the floor. And like, we know exactly what we're saying to each other. Like, this is what I came home to or how come he keeps doing this? But we just keep sending those photos back and forth and it, you know, makes the other person laugh and it makes you laugh and it, it's just nothing can replace that kind of camaraderie. Yeah. Good. You're very good at getting that kind of support. You're mature enough and wise enough and non-personal shaming enough to, to do that, <laughs> which is great. That's my number 12, which is get support. Okay. Um, Sorry, I jumped ahead. No, I'm glad you did. Number eight, don't overemphasize accomplishments like school mm. grades. Mm-hmm. Americans, particularly upper or middle class Americans are notorious for being solely focused on grades grades, and which college their kids are going to go to rather than attachment, good decision making, good treatment of other kids on the playground. These are the things that will make them happy in life and will probably help them in a career. Grades are, you know, they're a component of that. But if I was just to you know, take a percentage of the importance of your parenting efforts. I would put grades at about less than 1%. The amount of things that need to be done as a parent that are more important are there's hundreds of other things. How they treat other people. Do they believe they're a good person? Do they recognize when they make mistakes? Are they honest? Do they... Uh, feel like they are worthy enough to love another human being? Do they know how to regulate their emotions? Do they know what their emotions even are? The list goes on and on and on. Getting an A in math is far below those priorities. And not every kid can get an A. I mean, this is an interesting discussion I have with my friends. Um, (laughs) Not every kid is motivated to get an A, 
not every kid knows how to get an A at this point in their life. They might know later. Um, yeah, there's a real focus on that kind of, you know, we'll, we'll get perfect. It'll be all straight A's and just not everybody can do it. Yeah. You know, if everybody could do it, it wouldn't be a status symbol. So I was horrible in school. And so I taught <laughs> my son, it's, he's actually better than I am. Uh, but we talk about it all the time that, you know, it took me years to figure out how to be good at school, long after I was out of grade school, long after high school, actually. I mean, I think it was kind of in college when I finally figured out what worked for me. And you um, became a professor. So. I know, which is ridiculous. I mean, if you would have gone to any of my teachers in high school and said, Rebecca, we'll be teaching at the graduate level. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they would have fallen for it. Number nine, let kids be kids. Don't burden them with adult things mm. and treat them like adults when they get older. For many parents, they get this. There's no, they, they don't need to be told this, but some parents need to be told this. And to expect them to be an adult is harmful to them. It denies them their childhood. You end up getting overly critical. You get you get frustrated too easily over kids being kids. You know, five-year-old Johnny is too energy, has too much energy to sit still in class. It's like he's not 25, you know, he's five and he doesn't know yet and he'll get there, but he's a kid, you know, and just let kids be kids. Well, and kids learn by playing. And the more play we take out of kids' lives, the harder it's going to be that for them to problem solve later. So just encourage your kid to play. It's, I can't, I mean, in the, in, when everybody's on the iPad, it's really hard to remember um, to try and interact and play. Yeah. When the kid starts transitioning to adulthood, you know, age appropriate given how they are personality wise you want to start edging them toward responsibility now some kids will just naturally go for it because they just want to grow up fast but some kids don't and so you might have to start forcibly giving them responsibilities one by one like with a 16 year old that's living at home they buy their own toiletries for instance my parents did that to me and i remember just being shocked you know my parents are like okay so we're not going to buy you any more, you know, shampoo or anything. And to my, you know, 16-year-old mind, I just, I felt like it was just like extreme neglect, you know? Like, I, what? You, you, you're just not going to, you're not going to buy it. It felt very hurtful, you know? I was like, so what am I? I thought I was your child, you know? But it's just shampoo. But how helpful to me that was that I, you know, was sort of flung in that t I mean, think of all the things an adult right. does. And that one little thing that was given to me as a 16-year-old was, you know, it was it was like an adjustment, you know? And so I remember as I started doing it, I was like, oh, this isn't so bad, you know? It's not that much money. You can budget, you know, go to the Safeway, get the crappy shampoo, which I still do today, by the way. I, I get the <laughs> cheapest shampoo possible. I didn't know this about you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, my point is, is 
know the age that your kid is and try not to have over expectations or under expectations and, and just kind of be thoughtful about that. Okay. Number 10, uh, protect them from bad things like bullying, you know, um, and equip them to take care of themselves, but try mm-hmm. not to be paranoid. They'll learn for themselves. This is mm-hmm. something I talk with a lot of parents about because there's a lot of paranoia out there about, you know, bullying or cyberbullying or abduction or this sort of thing. And you and I have talked about that before. And by all means, you know, it's of course you love your kid, you want to protect them, but try to have um, a balanced healthy, I don't know, helpful sort of approach to that sort of thing. Your kid, 99% of the time, they they run into things like bullying at school. You're not going to be around. So help them help themselves and guide them, you know, have conversations with them about things. They're going to experience bad things. I mean, the just the amount of bullying or, or cyberbullying or put downs they're going to experience from their peers is just there's going to be millions of moments where they're going to be hurt by something and you're not going to be able to stop that unless you keep them in a box or something and which is illegal right uh you've checked the laws um (laughs) and um Oh, I know what I was going to say uh, that you prompted me to say. But anyway, what do you think about Circling that? Circling back. Yeah, what do you think uh, about that? Yeah, it's so painful to watch your kid fail. And we went through a bullying thing when our son was in fourth grade, and it was so painful. Yeah. Um, but you know what? He did the right thing in the end. Um, punched him back hard. He has punched. I have to say, I made this whole cartoon about ADHD being a mom of a kid with ADHD and one of the little panels says your kid punched my kid (laughs) um and then my kid punched back you know when are you gonna do that uh so yeah there is there are so many scraped knees and bruised egos and crestfallen heartaches um along the way and really to teach your kid resilience yeah. And that they can tolerate that. And to model, you know, your own things that you haven't gotten is really important. Our, we live in such a statusy culture where there are so many, I call them the glass apples, because here in Washington State, when you're the best at something, you get a glass apple that tells, you know, with your name etched on it or something. And we're in a social circle that has a couple of people that win a lot of glass apples. Literal glass apples? Literally glass apples. Well, I did not even know about this. Who, who gives out these glass apples? Oh, gosh. Different professional associations give out glass apples. Oh, I've uh, never even seen one, let alone been well, nominated for one. If there was anyone who would, I would assume would get a glass apple, it's you. <laughs> I, I have no glass apples, by the way. Um, I'll send you some pictures of some glass apples next time I'm in the company of glass apples. Uh, yeah, so there are those people that get noticed, and then there are all those people who are working hard behind the scenes who don't get noticed. And that's something that I talk about with my son all the time um, because my wife is in a culture that gives out a lot of awards, and so we're often in these places where one person is getting noticed. And there's, you know, 450 people in the room who aren't getting noticed. Right, right. And it doesn't mean that they haven't done 
probably just as good a job. Yeah, if not better. Number 11 is take care of yourself. A a happy parent is a good parent. And that means diet, exercise, sleep, romantic love. If you're your own hobbies, sex, uh, yeah, getting out there, having fun outside of your kids. Because in today's world, particularly women will sacrifice all that because they think they're supposed to or they get judged if they don't. And that is not a recipe for good parenting. Uh, A recipe for good parenting is a happy, well-balanced parent. And that might mean that sometimes you have to not do something that you know would probably be good for your kid. Like, for instance, your kid is seven and wants to join, you know, Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or karate class or dance class or something, you know, some other activity. And you do a mental calculus in your head about how much time commitment that's going to be for you in terms of driving them there and going all of the functions. And you realize that's going to mean I can't play soccer myself. And most, many parents, or at least, you know, the judgmental society would say, well, obviously you do what's best for your kid. I mean, what kind of parent says, well, I'm not going to take you to soccer because then I can't play soccer. (laughs) And of course, you know, there's no right answer to this. But the point is, is that sometimes that means self-care and having, you know, a a happy parent. That means a kid, you're not going to be able to do everything you can for your child's happiness. Does that make sense, Rebecca? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, the culture's really shifted. So now you drop your child off at a comp- at their class and then you stay <laughs> instead of leaving. So now you have even less time yeah. and now, you know, you have to drive all the way to Issaquah for soccer at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, so the needs are endless and I've seen all parents do all different kinds of things. If they've got multiple kids, you know, maybe the kid, each kid only gets one sport a year right. you know, so that they're not driving all over the city. Um, so, yeah, it's okay to do less. It's okay to just send your child off to play stickball in the park, you know. We've had this conversation before. Yeah. We love this conversation, you yeah, and I. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. feel very strongly about this. <laughs> I was just going to say, we've had this conversation before. <laughs> you know, when we were kids, we just got home from school and walked out the door and didn't come back until dinner and and entertained ourselves you know um i realize now it's a different world uh in that the culture doesn't really support that it's safer now than it was before in a lot of ways empirically when you i mean it's hard to know exactly whether or not it's safer but there are several measures that indicate that your kids are actually safer now than they were before and yet parents are more paranoid so uh, but uh, circling back to what you were saying of parents actually staying, yeah, it's all this pressure. You know, the pressure is like weddings. If, if this might be the exact conversation you and I had on another podcast, but <laughs> weddings even ten years ago, you know, you had the garter belt thing, you had the the mother son dance thing, you had the. You had to toss the bouquet thing. You had to cutting the cake. The, the, as time goes on, the amount of rituals that are being piled on to weddings now 
you you know the the picture the the taking of the pictures is just like not only do you have the pictures of the wedding day but you have like and i'm not saying this is a bad thing but i'm just saying uh it's a it, it's similar with parenting in that it, parenting culture is just getting more and more intense and it doesn't seem to be turning around you know your kid has to be in a in an enriching activity all the time and you and if you have to be there for that and uh you can't just you know you can't say no to that because all of their friends are going to be doing that and all of the you know and so i realize that there's tons of pressure and it's not going to feel so great but just try to navigate that while keeping your eye on taking care of yourself and having time for yourself and having time for your marriage and having time for your hobbies and having time for other things other than driving your kids around all day long, you know? Yeah. Cause that makes you awfully cranky. And number 12, since you already took it away, I'll just say get support. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you said that it takes a village just as Hillary Clinton famously said, although she got that from someone else. Um, I think she was quoting someone else. But anyway, the point is, is it does take a village. Don't do it on your own. It drives me crazy when I hear parents say things like, well, we haven't been out of the house for mm. six months because, you know, the kids. And I just think you don't have a single human that you can leave your kids with. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your kid is like three months old, then okay. But even then... Um, you got to get more support, you know, and that doesn't just happen overnight. You got to like cultivate those mutual relationships from the beginning, you, you know, and, and some people are really good at this and you'll see those, you'll see those parents cause they'll go to a movie by themselves. They'll have a date night, you know, pretty easily. Now I understand economics has something to do with it. Privilege has something to do with it. Um, but it's something to the first. Okay, here's my recommendation. It, the first thought you have is say, "Huh, maybe I should have kids soon." You know that you know that first sort of germ thought that you have, mm-hmm. where you're just like, "Huh, maybe it's time." You know, maybe it's time. The next thought you should have is, "Okay, I need ten people that are going to watch that kid. Mm-hmm. I need or five people or something." You know. I need, I need people that's the first thought should not be what should, what am I going to name it or what, you know, Ivy league school are they going to go to, or how am I going to shape them into a little me or, you know, that should not be the second thought. The second thought should be, I need to start now. If I don't have it already cultivating support around me. Totally agree. So we've got grandparents in town, which is unheard of. Uh, and then in Seattle, there's this thing called PEPS, Parent Education something program. And they match you with other families that have a kid your age. And there's a volunteer facilitator. And you meet for 12 weeks. And then our group met, like, biweekly, I think, for two or three more years. And then we still go on camping trips and stuff together. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I babysat those kids. Those people have babysat my kids. Um, that support, uh, you know, life-saving. And all of this, too, is based on what kind of birth you had. You know, I mean, you're if you if it's a 
bio kid, um, that I can, you know, you can be pretty wrecked and need a lot of support. Like, so this is my 13th anniversary of my auto uterine rupture, which is a very rare complication where the muscles of the uterus actually give out. And, um, I was, I was not in good shape for a really long time and we needed a lot of help. Um, so this idea that, uh, it's just the kid that's going to need support. I mean, sometimes, you know, one of the parents' health is really impacted by the birth of the kid. Right. Um, so it's a wild ride. <laughs> Never know what's going to happen. Right. So get those people on board and, and you know, if, if you can, then have it be mutual, like you're saying, you know, I'll watch your kids, you can watch my kids. So uh, do that. Okay. Well, those are our 12 tips for you, patron Claudia. If you follow those 12, then your kid will only need three years of therapy as, <laughs> as opposed to 13. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because... Do you, no one else is going to do it. <laughs>